Woof. I'll tell you something. If there's one episode I've held my breath for, it's probably this one. If you have had a controlling partner, if you have a controlling partner, What's up, fam? This is JJ, and this is another Mini Manso Friday. Let's go. Today, we have an awesome episode on, hey, red flag alert, she is controlling. Now, obviously, as you guys know, this can go vice versa across the genders. You can have a controlling male partner. You can have a controlling female partner, but you know, this is the Mini Mansode. Mansode, not woman sewed okay so we're going to talk about it from a man's perspective and i do think there's definitely uh, a gender specific role uh and energy that comes to the surface with uh a female who is controlling and a man who is uh you know maybe not keen on having a controlling partner and so we'll look at it from that lens today again i think of all the episodes i've done i've i've actually waited a long time to do this one uh, because I have a lot of personal experience with it and I have a lot of guy friends who have experienced this and so there's a lot of good examples uh, that we're going to talk about today, symptoms of control, what it looks like surfacing and dating and relationships. But before we do that, a couple housekeeping items. As you guys know, Patreon, I'm just going to shout out. We love our patrons. We just did our episode that is exclusive for the patrons this month. Uh, on our thoughts on celebrity pastors and celebrity speakers uh, who are Christians. I actually loved it. Kate's super passionate about it. She's lived in LA and New York for over a decade now, so she's been face-to-face. She's knowing Christian celebrities, celebrity pastors for quite some time. Uh, And I actually thought, you know, it was really fun to do. So you guys are more than welcome to check that out. What I'm loving in my day-to-day life, listen, one thing that I've started doing that I have really, really loved, that I just want to kind of encourage you slash challenge you is this. If you're in a sermon, if you're in a talk, if you're in anything, and someone says, go do this or buy this book or start practicing this, what can you do in that moment to ensure that you'll actually follow up and get it done, read that book, change a habit, change something about your life? I have started whipping out my phone and trying to like just use Amazon to my benefit. Like for example, we talk about uh, God's word and like sharpening your sword uh, and the the armor of God. God's truth is the sword. It's kind of like our offensive weapon, and we need to be sharp on it. Like knowing more scriptures and memorizing scriptures doesn't make you more holy. It doesn't make you more of a Christian, but it does equip you to be more successful as a Christian who is growing in your relationship with God. So a great example of that is I heard a great talk. I'm like, man, I don't want to go another week saying that I need to memorize more scripture. What can I do now to ensure that I can actually Memorize more scripture. Like, I want a sharp sword. I want to be a a warrior of God who knows his Bible, who can quote these verses, especially in times where I need them. Okay, well, let me go to Amazon right now, order the spiral notebook, and I can recommit to scripture memorization. 
I've loved doing it. I've been doing it for about a month now. And it's been such an awesome exercise for me when I'm in the waiting room at the hospital, when I'm at the car wash, like I just carry them with me. Instead of hopping on my phone, where can I whip out these note cards, look at some scriptures and just rehearse some of them in my mind? I've loved it, loved it, loved it. And listen, here you go. This is your sign. If that sounds appealing to you, like you're listening to this, like that sounds awesome. I would love to do that. Grab your phone right now. Go to Amazon, type in spiral notebook, like note cards. It's literally two clicks and it'll be there in two days. I don't know what else to tell you, but as you go throughout life, ask yourself when you hear something that's really challenging or great, whoa, 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 how can I stop and pause and make sure like this doesn't just go in and out <laughs> of my soul, my ears, my my brain, my mind. What can I do? What is the, the smallest thing I can do right now to maybe change and incorporate this into my life? Okay, so that's what I'm loving. Today's episode, let's do this. Okay, red flag alert. Is this a red flag? Is this a deal breaker? She's controlling. Woof. I'll tell you something. I mean, if there's one episode I've held my breath for, it's probably this one. Because if you have had a controlling partner, if you have a controlling partner, or if you know someone, like if you know a really awesome brother in your life or girl in your life who like you can see from a distance they have a controlling partner would you please share this episode because two things one just to clarify I don't care about the downloads or listens I would just let you guys know that this is so much more rampant than we would ever think it's always lurking behind closed doors. And if someone has a controlling partner, it is so hard in that echo chamber uh, where they're not really talking about it to have support and help. And I think of all the red flags in relationship, control is absolutely one of the most common and concealed red flags, especially amongst men. If a man has a controlling partner, it is not going to come out unless it's really, really sacred, safe space. People are getting really, really vulnerable because think about this. I Think about this. If you're a guy and you had a controlling partner, you are never going to just openly, transparently blurt it out and talk about it like you're not because I think it's extremely frowned upon. Like controlling people have a bad rap, right? But a controlling person has much more of a bad rap than someone who's totally avoidant and like emotionally just gone and doesn't do conflict, walks out the door, can't have vulnerable conversation. Like of those two on that spectrum, the control gets much more of the bad rap. They're both issues, 100%. We'll talk about that later. But if I'm a guy, think about it. I am, <laughs> I am never going to tell other guys that I got a controlling partner and I'm allowing it. Like, why would I ever want to air my dirty laundry and her dirty laundry like that? And it's basically, if you think about it, between guys, if I said that on the golf course, if I said that at the gym, you know, if I said like, sorry, I can't come out tonight. Like, you know, if I admit that I'm being controlled, I'm basically admitting that I'm on a leash. I don't have autonomy over my life. 
I'm whipped. <laughs> I'm I'm like getting dominated. Like I'm I'm being taken advantage of and I'm okay with it. Or I have no voice or weight or respect. Like I'm being disrespected. I'm just taking it. What <laughs> what guys ever ever going to want to admit that out loud? Like it's a lot easier to to tell a friend like, "Yeah, she's she's really avoidant. She's really emotionally just absent." Um I have a hard time talking to her. Like she says yes to everything. She doesn't really express like her needs or her concerns. Like I have to really, really dig it out of her. Like think about that versus me having to admit like, yeah, man, I, I, I have no voice. Like I'm constantly disrespected. I'm constantly just controlled. I have no decision-making in my life. Like I really have to bend the knee to her every single day. You see the difference there? Which one do you think as a guy talking to another guy would be easier to talk about out loud, right? So that's kind of the background of, in the context of controlling relationships is it's ironic because here's the other part, especially as a friend, especially as a friend, you can always see evidence of control, but you never necessarily see the control itself, right? Like the control, it's always undercover. It's always behind the scenes. It's always lurking in private. It's always, if you think about it, it's always that one-on-one -on -one phone conversation where it's, they got to step out of the room, right? It's always in private. It's always late at night. It's always between them. Like, it's just always underneath the surface. You you never necessarily see it out front. You as a guy, you see your guy friend saying, No, sorry, I can't. No, sorry, I can't. No, sorry, I can't. Like you get ten of those in a row and it's like, okay, there's the evidence I was looking for. It's never an explicit right in your face sign. It's always just little consistent things popping up that you can kind of start to gather, there is an element of control in this person's life. Like he, I can see my guy friend and he's not necessarily saying, sorry, man, I got date night, I'm pumped. You know, I'm excited, I, I would love to, but I can't. It's, it's always like a disappointed, like, no, sorry, I can't. That's off the table. It's always disappointed. You can kind of see this desire. If you are in this kind of controlling relationship or you've experienced a controlling relationship, I think what's not necessarily talked about very frequently is what exactly does it look like? Not a Hollywood movie, but like what are the symptoms of a controlling relationship? And I I think this would be incredibly helpful to arm and equip. Like if you're listening to this, what's tough is if you are in some kind of controlling relationship, it's, it's really hard to have someone to talk to about it. Like, unless you have a therapist, it's really, really hard to find places to confirm, like, is this a controlling relationship? Is this a healthy relationship? I My compass is so skewered here. I have no idea what is what. Like, am I overreacting here? Do I have, a, a, ironically, a bad relationship with being controlled? Like, am I not being a good teammate? Am I not listening? Am I not validating her? Like, what is going on here? So... I listed out some symptoms of a controlling relationship. I have six of them. There could be more or less. I try to kind of summarize, but these are like what to look for. And if you're in a relationship and things like this are popping up, it's not the end of the world. I would say it's absolutely we're in like red flag territory here. I'll talk about when it becomes a deal breaker, but this is red flag territory. If any of these symptoms are popping up, I'm saying, whoa, 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 like 
pump the brakes. There's a lot of evaluation here and something is is incredibly off in the way that you guys are doing conflict, how you guys are expressing your feelings and how you guys are problem solving together as a team. So number one, my first one, guilt tripping. Guilt tripping is absolutely an element and expression of control and it most often appears like this. They can't express, they cannot express their opinion without involving some essence of guilt. Hey, because you are so lazy, I yelled and got upset because you won't listen to me any other way. You, you see what just happened there? They're not taking ownership of the sense. The blame is shared and it's saying, hey, I have to yell and I have to get upset so I'm excused because you are so lazy. And the reality is that in any healthy relationship, there is never an excuse to get upset like that there's always an element where we can take ownership and saying, I don't care how frustrating, how lazy you are. When I express my feelings and my opinion, I don't have to point the finger at you and use it as an excuse. I can calmly, rationally, safely deliver my opinion, how I feel. I can say, hey, I'm experiencing you as being very lazy. And here's what I really think about that. But the element of saying, you know, because you have done something, I lost control and I'm flipping out and getting upset. It's justified because of you. That kind of essence of guilt tripping is never okay. And it's actually a form of control because they want to change your behavior. And they're also using you as a scapegoat for maybe losing their temper and like kind of reacting and, and quote, unfair way. So I would say anytime you feel like you're being guilt tripped, that's absolutely an essence of control. Truth be told, I am a sense girl through and through. I have gone through so many candles. JJ has looked at our monthly budget multiple times and gasped at the amount I have spent. Okay, true story. But you guys, I found the greatest option for those of you who love your homes to smell good, but also want a more earth-friendly option without giving up beautiful, high-quality fragrance. It's called Notes Candles. Did you know the candle industry has a major problem? Almost 2 billion candles are sold globally each year, and almost all of them are likely to end up in landfills for the next 1 million years. Can you believe that? 1 million years. Insane. Notes has created a refillable candle system that allows you to use your candle vessel again and again and again so you don't become part of the problem. It is so easy to use, you guys. The candles are made with fragranced wax beads. All you have to do is place the wick in your reusable notes jar, fill it up with the wax beads, and then enjoy your fragrance for up to 36 hours. And then just do it all over again when you're ready for a new one. My personal favorite fragrance is the Santal and Atlas Cedar. It's woodsy, calming, and it just smells so luxurious. I cannot get enough. I love it. 
I want to encourage you to be a responsible consumer while not giving up your high quality home fragrance by making the switch to Notes. You can build your custom starter kit right now at notescandle.com forward slash HOD. Notes is giving our listeners 15% off and free shipping when you buy a Notes starter kit using code HOD. That's code HOD at notescandle.com forward slash HOD. Number two. This is, I would say, major red flag, almost deal breaker. And I would absolutely move forward with tons of caution. Isolation. If you feel like you are being isolated from your friends, from your family, from your trusted people, that is a million percent a form of control. Because, you know, think about how this kind of operates. It could be whenever your trusted friends or people or advisors, family express their opinions and they disagree with it, they won't try to just express their opinion and let you have the decision of which one matters. You know what they have to do? They have to invalidate other people's opinions. They have to always disprove it. This person's wrong. This person's not right. Here's why my opinion's better. Here's why you should listen to me. They're always trying to convince you that they are your number one advisor, supporter, and these people who might have had your back your best interest for the longest time, mm, they no longer do. They no, they don't cheer for you to go seek out wise counsel. They are your wise counsel. And they slowly begin to isolate you. That is a major, major form of control that I would proceed with major caution with. Okay. Number three, they criticize you. Now, we're going to do a whole entire mansode on an overly critical partner. Is that a red flag or not? And what's going on there? Um, I would say it's absolutely a red flag in its entirety, and it's absolutely bordering a deal breaker. Um, but it's actually a form of control as well. Because when someone criticizes you, I don't care who you are, when someone criticizes you, they criticize your style, they criticize your preferences. They criticize your values, your habits, they who you, the, really who you are. They are chipping away at something you like or enjoy, or they are chipping away at who you are in order to what? What's behind the criticism? Well, it's always this, to establish their preference, their values, their belief system. Like you, your life, your boundaries, your preferences, your diet, your style is fundamentally not respected. And so they chip away, they chip away, they chip away. And guess what? It has the ultimate goal to what? Install their preferences, their style, their value system, their habits, their whatever it is, is better than yours. Let me criticize, 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 and slowly start to replace, replace, replace. There has to be an elemental, foundational sense of respect that this is your life, your friendships, your relationships, your values, your diet, your style, whatever it is, it is yours. And I have to respect that. I may not agree with it at all, but I respect you, your autonomy, your decision to choose. And that is a foundation for any healthy relationship. And if they don't criticize you into changing, you know what else they'll do? Number four, they will charm you into what 
they want. You see, the love, the affection that they give you is conditional. Conditional love and affection is also a form of control. This is a big deal because this is one of the covert ones, right? It's disguise. It's very, very tactical. It's like our Star Wars. It's a trap, <laughs> okay? It is so covert. They can overly affirm, let the floodgates loose of affection. It feels so good when you do what they want. You see, that is the definition of conditional love. When you do what I want under the conditions that I want and seek, then I will love you. Then I will give you affection. I will reward you like I'm training a puppy dog. And it's definitely concerning when it's only conditional affection. Listen, we're all human, okay? When I have a partner who's doing what I like, what pleases me, what's awesome, what I think is great, I'm going to love it. I'm going to be excited. I'm going to express that, right? That's <laughs> that's normal. However, when the person is only giving affection when what they want is happening, that is your issue, okay? What about when they when you do something that they don't like, when you dress up a way that they don't enjoy, when you have a habit and something in your life that they're not fond of? Are they withholding love from you? Are they protesting and making you feel bad about enjoying something or choosing something that you want? See, that's a big deal because we're coming back to even what we just said. While I don't agree with what you're doing, I really don't like it at all. It doesn't affect how I love you, right? I'm not going to let that get in the way of how I view you, how I treat you, and how I give affection to you. That is conditional love, and I just refuse to partake. If I love you, I love you because I love you because I love you because I chose to love you. Regardless of what you do, regardless of what you say, I love you. Now, I don't agree with what you're doing. I really don't like how you look right now, but guess what? I love you. That's your choice, and I'm going to love you regardless, even if you look or you sound or you're doing X, Y, Z. That is the definition of love. Number five, after chaos, after conflict, a form of control, like I think what a lot of times happens is if you're dealing with someone who is overly controlling and the other person is not quick to speak up for themselves, to have a voice, to actually say, I'm not okay with this, then resentment builds and there's typically a big blow up, a, a huge bout of conflicts where this person says, this is not okay. They lay their foot down. And what you see as a form of control is after conflict, there's an overreaction, an overcorrection. Some people call this a honeymoon period of they actually admitted their wrongs. They, they said, you know what? You're right. You, you caught me with my hand in the cookie jar. Things are going to change. It, it might have been okay in my mind, but after your blow up, no, it's not okay. So what do they do? Well, they go out and buy you something lavish. They try their hardest because they just lost the leverage of their power. And so guess what? They're going to try to get into your good graces as soon as possible in the short term. Because if they can do that, 
then it doesn't matter about sustaining the long-term change. You see, what's really important after conflict, after someone makes a commitment, the desire to restore the power dynamic in the short term to get back into your good graces to make sure that's a form of control because I can't be in the doghouse and I can't show I can't be comfortable with things not being okay in the short term which is really interesting so I will do whatever it takes to get back into the good graces to restore the power dynamic in the short term so that I actually have control again and I don't have to focus on what really matters, which is sustaining long-term change. How do you know if someone changes? Well, <laughs> you evaluate over time. You evaluate over time. It doesn't take a week. It's not two weeks. It's a month. It's a two months. And that other person who's committed to changing over the long-term has to be comfortable with proving that over a long period of time, with kind of being in the, do the doghouse over a long period of time. That's fine. I understand you're still upset with me. I'm here for the long term. I'm I'm totally happy to show and prove over time that I am going to change. I know I've shown results in the short term. And guess what? I'm going to continue to do that in the long term. That's fine if you want to be upset. I'm okay with things not being okay. And I don't have to rush to you know restore this power dynamic and get out of the doghouse as soon as possible by showering you, by wooing you, right? They're okay with the power dynamic being in your court right? Like you essentially have more power in that situation than they don't. And they can be okay with that. Now, a controlling person is never okay with that, right? They have to restore the power dynamic. They have to have something wrong with you. They have to be on the, the counter offense as soon as possible, where it's back to criticizing you. The focal point is on you and you are the person who needs to change, not them. Last one. And this is really big. This is probably the biggest one to end on. I would say this is a hallmark symptom of a unhealthy relationship. If you are having to threaten the other person in the relationship, or if you are being threatened by your partner, when you guys are negotiating, when you're going through conflict, when you guys are making agreements, that is a hallmark sign of control. Whenever you hear, if you don't do this, I'm going to blank. That is control. I'm going to pressure you to comply, to do what I desire, or else I'm going to use fear, fear of a reaction, fear of a blow up, fear of withholding of love. I'm going to use fear to persuade you. You see this a lot of times in, hey, if you do this, I am going to do this, right? It's like a cause and effect. And I think there is a reality where there's there's got to be a clear like, Hey, if I just want to let you know that if you make this decision, there's going to be consequences and the consequences will look something like this. I think that is a little different than saying, do this or else I'm going to blow up on you and freak out. Do you see the difference in that? When I say do this, number one, that's a command. You're not giving the other person a choice. And two, it is a very vivid fear based reaction that I'm going to do something that you're really, really not going to like versus, hey, you have autonomy, you have choice. I just want to let you know as someone uh, who struggles with this, if you make this decision and you, again, make any decision you want, you have autonomy to make whatever decision you want. 
I just want to be clear. If you make this decision, I'm not going to be happy with you. I'm actually going to be really upset. I'm not going to take it out on you. I'm going to find a place to process it elsewhere, but I'm probably not going to be able to talk to you for about a week. And it's really going to make me question this relationship because I thought we were a team. And again, make whatever decision you want. Like that is your choice. But I'm just going to let you know up front, if you make this choice again, it's not going to go well for me personally. And it's going to have consequences on the relationship. And I think there is a huge difference between threatening and the scenario one and scenario two, which is what we just walked through, which is an honest approach that you know, you can make these decisions at hand and it's not going to go well. Uh, but I'm not going to blow up on you. I'm not going to blame this on you. I'm not going to use you as my human punching bag. Like, I just think any situation where you have to threaten someone to get what you want done is a hallmark sign of control and an extremely unhealthy relationship. Closing thoughts of today, because I love this episode. I think if you are in a controlling relationship or you have been in one, all those symptoms that I just listed are very real. And you probably had a very hard time talking to someone about it. Because the reality is it's really hard to share things that are in the dark that are really shaming on you and the other person. But the reality here is you have to ask yourself, what is my goal? What is my objective? And if that is to have a healthy, thriving relationship that is seeking to bring God glory, well, if that's your true objective and goal, then you have to find a way to work through these kind of issues. And if that involves being vulnerable and telling a friend and working through it or telling a therapist, then you have to do that. Because if, if the goal, the object is that healthy relationship, this is absolutely getting in the way of that, okay? So what is the most important thing, okay, in your life? You really have to evaluate your why and your conviction. So, but my closing thoughts with control, and this is really, really important because I hope you feel validated, you feel seen. If any of those things are going on, I would say, is it a red flag? Absolutely. Is it a deal breaker? Well, that's kind of on you to decide because the reality is number one, control is never okay. It is never, never okay. It can actually be a form of emotional abuse depending on how serious it is. And it can cause lasting damage, not just for you in this relationship uh, if, if you guys make it, but it's gonna actually damage you uh, for future relationships. I know a lot of men who have left controlling relationships and they are so scarred and wounded in the next relationship that they're not the same guy. And it takes years to heal and recover what they lost in that relationship, okay? But it's never okay. Number two, this is not an excuse, but control is a byproduct of trauma. Just like someone who's deeply avoidant, deeply emotionally unavailable, deeply just not in the relationship, that's a byproduct of trauma, so is control. No one wakes up and says, how can I be so, how can I be controlling today? How can I be extremely controlling, irritable, impatient, and get my tentacles of control in my partner's life? No one wakes up and chooses that. No one wakes up and chooses to be extremely avoidant. It is a byproduct of trauma, but here's the reality of trauma in your life. There's a lot of times where you can't control the trauma that happens to you, but you can control how you respond to it, okay? And if you were in a relationship and control is surfacing, that has to be completely agreed upon by both sides. 
No one can control what happened to them, but you can control, speaking of control, how you respond to it. And if control is an issue in the relationship, there's got to be ownership of it. Okay, just like if someone's avoidant, there's got to be ownership that, yes, I am avoidant. No, it's not okay. Three, I'm going to do something about this. Because the reality is that no one likes being controlled. (laughs) I mean, for the most part, no one likes being controlled. Some people are more okay with it than others. I know some guys, some women, they grew up with a controlling mom. It's not necessarily that whether they enjoyed or not, you know, a lot of just as like a a nugget of wisdom, they kind of say that you will remarry into your family dynamic. And it's not because you want to marry your dad if he was controlling or angry or had no patience or your mom who was avoidant or low maintenance or whatever. It's not necessarily because you want to remarry your parent. It's because you will remarry what you feel comfortable with. And if you grew up in a traumatic household that displayed some of these tendencies, well, guess what? You've been through that before. You're somewhat comfortable in it. It is familiar to you. And so you are happy to remarry it again, even though you know it's not okay, even though you know it's bad. Okay, so some people that grow up with a controlling mom, guess what? They're comfortable with it. They know how to cope with that pain. They've been through that that gauntlet before. So they're happy, or I wouldn't say happy, but they're okay with marrying a controlling spouse, okay? Now that being said, number four is this, and this is the most important. When it comes to control or really any trauma that you're dealing with or avoidance, you have to decide if you are going to commit to that person, including their control, which hopefully grows over time. Because the reality is when you marry someone, you're marrying their past, their trauma, their core character flaws, you're marrying everything about them. And when you are unconditionally loving them and marrying them, you're saying, I accept it all. I don't agree with it. I hope it changes, but I'm not going to love you any less. I'm not going to love you anymore if you deal with this or not. It might make my life a lot easier. It might make our, our relationship a lot more healthy if you take care of it. But guess what? I love you because I love you and I love all of you. I love all of you. And that's the same love that we receive from our our Jesus, our God, our Holy Spirit is, I love all of you. I accept all of you. Now, I'm going <laughs> to look for some things to change. However, I do love you. And so that is the reality of, of, of choosing to marry, choosing to move forward in a relationship. Like you get to choose control. You get to choose avoidance. You get to choose anger. Like you, you really are choosing like the vice that you're going to be rolling with for the rest of your life and hoping and praying for that person to grow, 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 grow. And that's why when you marry someone, you're marrying their growth rate. Like Tim Keller and Kathy Keller all the time saying, you know, a lot of people are looking for a finished statue to marry. And it's like, no, you're marrying an unchiseled block of marble and you get to choose that marble. And God is the chiseler and you're right there cheering everybody on, hoping and praying and loving and supporting but you're marrying an unchiseled block of marble. You just get to choose that block of marble and then support them on earth 
as they continue to grow and grow and grow. So I love you guys. That was an awesome episode. We're definitely going to do more on this topic because it really is a, a super pertinent one. I can share a lot more of my experiences, but I hope it was helpful. We love you guys. Have a wonderful weekend and let's go.